Well, good evening. Well, that's the gospel when you read it in church. You can see some people kind of squirming a bit as they try to rationalize in their minds that Jesus can't be saying that being wealthy is a bad thing. I mean, after all, isn't that part of life about gaining wealth, about one's net worth, about being successful and living the dream? Matter of fact, this is so ingrained into our psyche that we can easily and erroneously transfer this ideal into our spirituality, just as the rich young man did in the story, seeking out what he needed to do to earn eternal life. See, in the first century Jerusalem, and maybe for some even today, wealth was considered to be a sign of God's favor, that somehow the more wealth you had, the more that God loved you. Moving this gospel story to a modern-day setting would be something like this. You know, we have a young man, likely a grad, obviously, of Princeton, goes on for his advanced degree, makes partner of the law firm, has two homes, a couple cars in the garage, well-balanced portfolio, attends and tithes church each week, follows the Ten Commandments, and adheres to all the rules and regulations in the catechism. And now he's come to a point in his life where he just wants to make sure he has eternal life covered. And since he's used to getting what he wants, he just takes out his checkbook, ready to be sure that he can earn or purchase eternal life, as if it was a ticker symbol, ETL or something. Which leads to that million-dollar question, one we hear today in the Gospel. And it's asked a number of times to Christ throughout the Gospel, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Recognizing the point of view this man is coming from, Jesus gives a masterful response. So first, he sidesteps that adulation of being called good. Because in those days, that culturally expected the person to reciprocally give back adulation. So he did that by reminding him that only God is good. Then Christ goes through a handful of the commandments, asking the man if he's kept them all, knowing the answer is all going to be check boxes. But then don't overlook the very next line that Jesus says, where it says that Jesus loved him. It's the only time in Mark's gospel that we're told that Jesus loves somebody. Actually, it's only later in the gospel when Christ is asked which commandment is the greatest, and he replies, love of God, love of neighbor, that we hear the word love appear. So by Mark inserting that line into the story, he's making a point that Jesus is about to do, he's going to practice what he preaches. He's going to love this man. He's going to love others. But Jesus sees that this rich young man is rooted. He's anchored to his wealth and not to the gospel. So he tells the man, go sell everything that you have. In essence, break the bonds that this man has attached to all his worldly goods to disconnect from all that he's been taking a hold of. You see, no matter how much money we have or don't have, we're all the rich young man. We all have those things we're attached to, addicted to, have rooted ourselves to. Wealth, social status, appearance, grades, promotions. There's just some of those things which are good, they can be a trap or an anchor which justifies all kinds of behavior with the false hope of some future reward. 
But eternal life is not handed out because we have money or because we just keep focusing on rules and regulations. It's not something we earn like a merit badge. For when we live that way, when we, spend our, we will end up spending our energy on defending who's going to get in. Well, me, of course. And who's not going to get in? Anyone who disagrees with me. And we turn it all into a worthiness contest. See, rather, Jesus seems to be pointing us to be less worried about life in the next world and instead to focus on life in this world, a life dedicated to loving God and neighbor, all of which is much harder to do than writing a check. So then, what does one do? Well, perhaps the answer is best summed up from a third-century story taken from the desert fathers and mothers. For it would seem one day an old desert father was asked by a young man what was necessary to be saved. The old man was sitting there making rope, and without even glancing up, he said, You're looking at it. Just as so many of the mystics have taught us, it's all about doing what you're doing right here, right now, with presence with intention, with care for others. All of that's prayer. It's a prayer that allows us to actively participate in God's love, which is an activity that requires us not to be anchored to the material world, but takes us out of ourselves and opens us up to God's ever-presence in each of our lives. But to do that, it requires us to really really look in the mirror and ask ourselves, what are we rooted in? What are we attached to? Is it time to make a realignment of our priorities? Is it a time to take a new look at what it means to be fully human, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ? We'll see in a few minutes how easy it is for us to recite the creed of what we believe in. But do we actually take time to put it into practice? Christ makes it clear in this gospel passage, in speaking to this man who he loves, that attachments to money, power, prestige, and possessions provide a major obstacle for for fulfilling our call to love God and love others. One of the words that we hear so often from Paul's letter to the people of Corinth, prophecies will cease, tongues stilled, knowledge will pass away, and the greatest thing that remains is just love. You see, what Christ is pointing out to this rich young man and to you and me is that we keep on asking, what do I have to do to eternal life? But it's the wrong question. The question we should be asking ourselves is with All or little that I have, what can I do today, in this life, in the here and now, being present, in order to love God and neighbor, especially the least of my brothers and sisters? You see, eternal life has nothing to do with the size of your bank account. Eternal life is not in itself a future endgame that we're just playing for. Christ already tells us he will come back and take us with him so we can be together. Rather, it's all about the kingdom of God, which is ever-present and begs 
begs for our active participation, not anchored in all that we have, but focused on who you are, grafted to Christ, and who you can be for others, bringing the kingdom of God alive right here, right now, today, and always.